This is The Union, the intersection between people, apps, and AI. We'll inspire and challenge you as we ask questions, uncover insights, and share inspiring stories about digital ecosystems and automation. Well, hey there, I'm Scott King, and that is Chris Krause, and thanks for joining the Union Podcast. Um, Today, we're going to kick off a three-part series that we're really excited about. Uh, We're going to talk about how to integrate ChatGPT, BARD, or any other generative AI that you may be interested in. We're going to talk about how to get that into your enterprise. And and Chris, you published a a paper a couple months ago, how to integrate ChatGPT into your enterprise you know, what kind of feedback have you had from that? Uh, you know, does it answer people's questions? Like, what what are they telling you after they've reviewed the paper? So they're kind of surprised because it makes them think through, there's actually a process. And when you think about like answering a question, the first point is like, do I have the data? Do I have the answer somewhere? Can I find it? And then if I have say the answer in three spots, then can I get that? And then they realize, oh, the last 5% is asking generative AI to summarize the three right answers or the two right answers. So I think people like it because they didn't walk back and say, how does this technology work? It was kind of like announced on the internet. It's kind of a black box. You're like, well, I was trained on the internet. But there's, there's steps that happen along the way. How do you get the data in? And then once you have it, can you understand it and read it and search for like paragraphs or specific pieces of data, say in order in and in a, in a table, things like that. And then that's what you want generative AI to actually summarize. And sometimes you want sympathy, sometimes you want just a standard response, but they, they realize, oh, there's actually a bigger collection of tools that actually make this work. Yeah, I would, um, I would assume that you know, from a user standpoint, if I just ask it questions, it, it seems intuitive. But actually connecting all that is is actually pretty hard, right? So let's walk some through some of the topics that enterprise technology professionals, you know, what they really need to consider when trying to bring this in, right? So uh, we're going to break it up and we'll, we'll cover three. Let's cover, um, you know, you got to connect to enterprise systems in real time. Mm-hmm. And yep. then when it is connected in real time, uh, these AI services and AI products, that, you know, they're continuously innovating and they just leap leapfrog each other like week over week. So you really need to be able to switch one out for the other. And then let's talk about the data, right? So enterprises have a lot of data. They've got it in databases, apps, PDFs, written on notepads, Excel files, yep. right? Um, like how do you know? How do you get more data? Uh, to compute through the system so you can summarize that answer. So let's let's cover, you know, connecting to enterprises systems in, in real time. What are what are some of the things that professionals need to consider before they start, you know, taking a project like this on? Well, th- so the first thing is actually realize it's possible. Like the biggest aha a lot of people had was when they think about what they've seen with ChatGPT on the internet, pre-trained models, right? So what it is, is it researched the internet and then had a, a document store, if you will, of things to go answer from, but it doesn't let you get real-time data. So really at the enterprise level, when you ask a question, you don't want stale data that's you know 
you know, the, the, the order management system is updated throughout the day. So if you want to ask questions about orders, you need to ask the real system data for that. Or maybe it's the, um, something like an HR manual. Well, that one only trains once a year, maybe twice a year when policies change. But what people, and the people kind of get that. But the thing that I really thought was interesting is like, if I'm in say order management and I have current orders, I have current shipments, um, maybe have a current catalog that tells me products and quantities of them that are available because they're perishable goods, things like that. What you really want to do is you want to have an integration backbone that knows how to capture that information out of multiple systems. So warehouse management has systems about inventories, then order management knows about current orders. And then you may have a sales and distribution system that has information. If you can make those available dynamically in real time, say, say a customer has a question. I, I don't care about other people's orders. I actually care about the order, my orders. So extract those from the two systems and then give me a, a download of, you know, all of the products on a normally order. And let me ask questions about that collection of data. Then there's a lot of power and people realize that that means I can say, what were my last five orders? What were my last two orders? You know, um, what was the highest order amount I had in the last three months? Or what was the longest shipment time I had in the last um, four months? The, the whole thing that this solves is that being able to connect to real systems and get data in real time means that we don't have to know all the questions that a customer or a person is going to ask. Traditional technology, you had to know all the questions and you wrote queries and reports and all those things. What this does is says, here's a collection of data. Now I can ask interesting things about this data. And I don't have to know all the questions that'll be answered because someone's going to come up with something new. Um, so like easy example, say you have um, loan rates for a HELOC, a 30 year and 15 year fixed. Those things change daily. And, but you may want to say like, um, hey, today, which gives me a better rate, a HELOC or 30-year fixed. And like a couple of months ago, your your 30-year your, um, fixed would give you a better rate. Or maybe your 15-year fixed would. But now interest rates have gone up. So maybe your HELOC will give you a better rate. So the idea is you don't know the questions you're going to ask, but being able to feed real-time data into it and then be able to ask what ifs or comparison questions of those things. It has to be the most current date. It has to be today's interest rates. It's, it's really fascinating that people have now made that leap that I want to connect to the enterprise. And we call it entities. So think about it as like real-time data that talks about a customer or something in the systems. So what, what type of considerations, if you connect all these different systems and they have different data formats or the systems are different speeds or what have you, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, what you're talking about is connecting to real-time systems and coming up with a really intelligent prompt to get an answer. What happens when the data formats are different with all these different systems? Like you talked about order management and warehouse systems. Like they've figured yeah. this out in production to do it, right? They've built an yeah. app around it. How does that change with uh, generative AI? Well, we're still got, what we're going to do is we're going to get the data and we're going to make like all the dates, what we call non-ambiguous. So instead of saying 0101, 2021, you want to say February 1st, you know, or January 1st, 2021, or 
you know, December 2nd, 2021. So you do some specific things. We actually get the dates and we do format them so that they're non-ambiguous. So the engine knows exactly how to read them. There's no ambiguity there. Um, and sometimes we normalize things. We use a, we use a common type of name for a customer or like sometimes it's order number, sometimes it's order NBR, sometimes it's incident number. Like we would define when we load those into the IA model, we do kind of normalize that. So it, so it can actually make the correlations between those. Right. Yeah. Of course you'd have to have to do that. Um, all right. Anything else on the real time systems? I mean, this is the number one question that we get is mm-hmm. like, I've seen chat GPT or Bard, like, how do I can, I want my data in there. Right. So right. anything else before we move on to, uh, to the next topic? So I think the point is it is possible there, there's a method to the madness and we can give you more details about that. If you really want to know the low levels. All right. Perfect. So let's talk about, um, you know, what we say is effortlessly integrate diverse AI tools, because obviously you can integrate anything, right? With <laughs> anything. It just takes time. But right. the, the, the pace of the innovation and how fast these things are coming out, you know, you, you couldn't even keep a list of all these AI tools because there's one every day. Right. So when we talk about efforts, effortlessly integrating these and maybe even interchanging them right so from one to another if we find out that the language translation that we need you know maybe we sell in another region and our ai tool doesn't have that language we have to switch it out Uh, Mm -hmm. maybe you talk about some of those examples and how easy or hard that may be yeah so what you want is an ai ipass so this is a different than like a MuleSoft or web methods or tipco a traditional ipass this is one that's purpose built to actually provide very consistent requests from the user perspective, like tell them is, me the sentiment of this statement or tell me the keywords in this statement. Um, summarize this content for me. And you want very consistent interfaces for the user. So you want your AI iPads to have that on the front end. And on the back end, its job is to actually convert it to different types of languages. So you've got Bart, Baird, Boomi, you know, Watson, all sorts of different AI engines out there that give you sentiment. This week, you know, ChatGPT or um, OpenAI may be really good at sentiment, but then over time it may degrade. And so in three months, maybe Watson is doing a better job for sentiment in English and French. So you want to be able to seamlessly swap the actual AI engine underneath the iPads. So you, so thinking about the iPads has a very consistent interface to ask about AI services. And on the back end, you want to swap them out. So you would never know from your application level who's actually connecting to the, sen- who's providing the sentiment. Because let's face it, right now, they, they're seeing something in our say like, you know, Bart Baird, ChatGPT, they're like weeks apart in their ability to complete different functionality. But in six months, it's gonna be a completely different game. There can be lots of vendors providing this functionality. And over time, some will be stronger and then others will become stronger. So you may wanna swap out, say one of these AI services for a different one, but you don't wanna rewrite your application and worry about JSON and XML and modifying everything. You literally want it to plug in one and then unplug one and put in another one. And so. 
an AI iPaaS is an iPaaS but specifically to provide business level services for AI modules. And this is a big deal. Yeah, you, so you did mention, um, you know, JSON and XML. And previously you said um, this is different than MuleSoft or SnapLogic or any other, you know, mm-hmm. traditional iPaaS because that's a big market. Right. And a lot of people have these oh, yeah. tools that they, you know, use for applications. What, mm-hmm. you know, what do you think limits those tools to do what you described with connecting to AI services? So there's two things. Can they build connectors to a bunch of services out there? Yes. And then they can surface them. But you need a logic in the middle, which understands how to, say, orchestrate three different AI services together into one service to accomplish tasks. So you may want translation, sentiment, and keywords within one service versus the business person having to know, well, I need to call these three separate things and these separate endpoints. So think of it as there's some aggregate services you're going to want. And then you're going to want to have a catalog that presents those in a human readable way. Because yes, I God knows I love a swagger spec or an open AI spec, but you know that's not something everybody can go read and understand. And so providing that consistency across there. So you want some type of orchestration across multiple services are required or some intelligence in it to say, if it's English, use this service. If it's French and German, use that one. If it's, say, a um, simplified Chinese, use a different one. So it actually isn't just presenting a little atomic building blocks. It's actually aggregating functionality and orchestration and some business logic. So it shields you from having to know those nuances. And what do you think the time difference is? So, you know, we you mentioned that you need to be able to do this, right? Change mm-hmm. one service so over another or maybe use it right yeah some some of the workflows use this service and some of them use that service yeah um like interchange it right obviously you could do this i mean you could do it manually right you could hire a developer and have him build it that's probably the the longest time span um and i'll ask you what that is and then when you say you need to be able to interchange it like what kind of time frame are we talking about is this like I need to be able to give it like a secret API key or do I need to develop a whole new app? Like what's the difference? So the difference is they can be dynamically changed and you can test one, run it, and then swap it and test another one. You just go to a dropdown and change which one you want because you say, give me sentiment on these three different tools and let me compare them. Now, if I were developing that, first thing I say, say from an architecture standpoint, I want to shield myself from the signatures because I have multiple of these. So I need to design it, an application to build an intermediary layer. And then I'm going to then plug in the different tools. And then every time you plug one in, it's, you know, first you have to go research them, find them, do it, which ones were good, which ones aren't, and then start plugging them in. And so that's weeks to months of development. So you're actually building a complete harness to shield it from those. Or that's a smart way to do it. Or you just hard code each one. And then you're just in, in, you know, old school 1999 hell where you've got to redo every connection, every system, right? Because we did it's a point and it broke. Now we have to create a new version of the app and compile it and deliver it, right? So we, we know we don't want to do that because that's, and, but that's quite honestly, when people need things fast and now they still do point to point, right? And then you say, okay, I need six months to design 
a platform and a harness to do this in. And so, yes, you can write that with enough Java, C Sharp, whatever, but you're going to spend six months actually just defining, defining your harness. And then you've, you've lost all that time in that ground. It's, it's just going to take too long. So you want yeah. those things pre-built as a service. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would, it would just take too long. Right. Um, like people already have backlogs and, yes. you know, if you didn't have any integration backlogs, I mean, you'd, you'd be an anomaly and you could probably do it that way. <laughs> uh, but if you do, you're already, I mean, you're already telling yourself that you can't do it fast enough. Yes. All right. So that's, uh, that is, uh, connecting and switching out systems. Um, let's talk about the data, right? So mm-hmm. I've, I've played with ChatGPT. Um, actually, use it sometimes to clean up the podcast transcription, uh, but the transcriptions are way too long, right? They're they're okay. way too many characters to paste in there, and you tell it like, "Hey, just take out all of the uh, what do you what do you call it filler words, right?" Because mm-hmm. you say like, and I say so, right? So it, it removes yeah. all those for us. Um, you know what? how do you get around the the limitations? Because if I connect it to my real-time systems and then I am switching out AI services, I'm, I want to read more data than, you know, what I think I'm capable of. How does that work? Yeah. So first thing is you want to be able to get lots of different data to read. So the first thing is you want like a document store to store lots of documents. And these could be PDFs. You know, these could be Word documents. These could be Excel documents. They could be PowerPoint, right? They could be web pages. So as long as the date, the information is somewhere, it can't be travel knowledge in someone's head. As long as it's documented somewhere, you want to be able to ingest those into a document store. And we know OCR works. We know, you know, we know how to read tables of data and different technologies in that. So first thing we want to do is actually create the problem of having all this data. So get it into a document store and use natural language processing, natural language understanding to understand what are the contents. And then document understanding allows us to actually search for those state. So the second thing you want to do is how do you deal with return policies? So maybe you have a customer who has Canada and they have U.S. operations. So when you search this document store, you're going to get two answers back. You're going to get one answer for Canada, one answer for the U.S., now, that's probably going to be too big because generative AI, when you summarize things, it wants, you know, like 2K, 1K, a nice little block of data so it can then come back with a new response. So it's the job of the the, the person doing this, say the AI iPads or the code itself, needs to understand I may need to chunk up data in smaller pieces and then summarize summaries of summaries or get summaries of different components. But the first part is we kind of want that big bucket of data. We actually want too much data because that means we've got all the right things in the enterprise to be able to search and no matter what electronic formats it's in. But then the key is when we get it, you need to have some clever engineering to say, how do I get these chunks of data small enough so I can get a response back versus getting an error? This is too much data. You've probably seen that when you paste it or type too much stuff into ChatGPT. This is too big. Yeah. Yeah. It always, it, it tells you, yeah, it's too big, right? Because, because I'm trying to have it summarize way too much. And when you're mm-hmm. talking about is like uh, you said, summaries of summaries, it's, it's kind of like, you know, if you're looking for a person, uh, you're looking for them in this neighborhood, 
mm-hmm. right? And you kind of limit the the area that you're searching. Maybe, and um, you know, let's talk about the the HR policies, right? Those things are huge, like hundreds of pages long. Um, yep. But if you can do maybe some keyword searching and kind of get in the the right neighborhood of the policy, then you can kind of summarize it. Is that yes. kind of what you're saying? Yep. Yep. You want to narrow yeah. it down and only give it the right answer to summarize, not a, not extra fluff and stuff it doesn't need to know. Right. Because the the nature of my question, if I'm an employee, is going to be really specific. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I'm new, hey, how do I submit my cell phone bill to to be you know paid back like expense policy right yes um and and so it would you know maybe it it searches in that neighborhood in the giant policy document and depending on who i am i can either be repaid for that or not right so Mm -hmm. okay um so since synthesizing terabytes of data um because i mean they're gonna have a lot of data so Anything, anything else on the data stand front? Because, um, you know, I really want to make sure that people understand that you need not to have the amount of data that you, that you have limit you, right? You can still do it, but you just need a process around it. Yes. So I think the key is that, um, like we discussed, there's two types of data. In this case, this may be policies, written data, maybe in PDFs or PowerPoints. And, you know, as much of that as possible will help as many answer as many different questions as possible. So, so you want the platform to handle that. The first thing we talked about is you may, in some cases, want real-time data out of a system, like the statuses of interest rates, my orders, my inventory, things like that. So you want to have both available so that you can answer your questions. Yeah, because it's, it's just going to save people time, right? We, we don't need oh, to yeah. be... We don't need to have uh, people or, you know, HR professionals looking into systems that could be available through a system like this. Um, just looking for answers because it's just, yes. you know, we're, we're going to need to innovate and, and move on. Uh, so speaking of moving on, that is it uh, for this episode. Hey, thanks everyone for listening to uh, the first part in our series about how to integrate generative AI into your enterprise You know, be sure and catch the next episodes about automating processes and then how to involve people in all these processes. And then once you get all of the people involved, making sure you're governing the data correctly so people aren't reading what they're not supposed to be reading. There's, you know, you're limiting uh, data leakage, things like that. So I really appreciate you guys listening. And uh, thanks so much, Chris. Until next time. Thanks for listening to The Union. I hope it was insightful and caused you to think about how you can influence technical advancements at your company. Please subscribe to the Union Podcast Series on your favorite podcast player to listen to past and future episodes. If you have a question for any of us or have a suggestion for the show, please email me at scott at Thanks for listening.